In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures in its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, if you're listening to us. Uh, we appreciate it, and multiple ways to do that. First, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can get 40% off of your first year annual subscription. Uh, of course, you get all of the, our podcast, all of our great coverage over New Orleans, Saints, Pelicans, LSU, Tulane, and of course, on all platforms, all sports, all cities, you could go jump on theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. And if you want to listen to us where you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all of those great podcast services, you could jump on there, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a million, jump on the Duncan Holder podcast. So this is basically part three of our NFC South breakdown. Jeff, uh, look, we had... Uh, Joe Person on from the Carolina Panthers beat at the Athletic. Uh, we just recently had Greg Allman, who has now seen his world turned upside down with Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski heading to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, but Jeff, we are going to be taking a look at the real, still, Saints rival in the NFC South, despite... Carolina becoming NFC North, and of course Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, saving the best for last. Of course, uh, Saints fans everywhere uh, love to hate the Atlanta Falcons. I've never seen anything quite like it. You know, Larry, when I moved to the to New Orleans in 1999, I, I had no inkling about the Saints Falcons rivalry. I, I didn't, uh, you know, it didn't register on my radar. And, uh, of course, the two decades I've lived in New Orleans, I've learned just how uh, fierce it is and also uh, how it extends really beyond the two teams into the two cities. I think uh, while the Saints have gained the upper hand in the rivalry in the last uh, decade or so, uh, there's no question Atlanta wins the rivalry between the cities as they've left New Orleans in the dust uh, in all the big things as far as economy and commerce and things like that. But we've got an expert on today. Really, uh, really excited to have Jeff Schultz on. Uh, of course, uh, our colleague in, in the Atlanta Bureau of the Athletic, but also a longtime columnist 
at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and uh, someone who loves New Orleans himself. He loves to visit here uh, along with his wife. So, Jeff, welcome to the program and thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Really, really looking forward to it. And uh, let me just add, uh, I, I can totally relate to what you were saying, Jeff, about the, the Falcons-Saints rivalry. I mean, I'm I'm originally from the West Coast, uh, as you know, and I, I actually lived in I've lived in four or three former NFC West cities. Uh, I covered the Rams in L.A. Uh, the first time they were in L.A. Uh, I covered the 49ers in San Francisco and, and came here and, and did a variety of things in Atlanta. And, and when, I, when I moved to Atlanta, I had no idea about the Falcons and Saints rivalry either. I just kind of viewed them as the two other teams <laughs> and, and then the <laughs> NFC West and, and – uh, uh, two generally bad teams or bad histories, and I. It took a while before I realized, wow, this really is a rivalry, and uh, it was pretty cool looking at two teams that didn't really matter where they were in the standings. Uh, it was always a great atmosphere, uh, always a great game, and I think that's really kind of how you define a great rivalry: is it doesn't really matter what the standings show. And as much as that sounds like a cliche, it is a cliche. Uh, I think with these two teams, it, it really kind of held true. Jeff, we know how fierce it is with Saints fans. Uh, look, is it as fierce on the Atlanta side? Because it seems like more, maybe we hear it more, say, in the last decade, like Jeff mentioned, just because uh, the Saints have, have done so well against the Falcons, probably since Sean Payton and Drew Brees arrived. But is it as fierce as maybe we feel it is in New Orleans? This is the best way I can answer that, Larry. Since since the um, since the Falcons went to the Super Bowl in 2016, uh, things have not gone as well as as they expected or hoped uh, it would go. And there's no question that the highlight of the last three seasons has been when the Saints got knocked out of the knocked out of the playoffs. So when Crazy things happened against the Minnesota Vikings. My Twitter, because I was on Twitter at the time just watching games, exploded with Falcon fans laughing about the way games ended. So I think that's probably the best illustration I can I can have, which is that Falcon fans hope for two things. One is that their team wins, and the second is that the Saints, that the Saints lose. Um, so, yes, I, I do think it's – now – Obviously, there are more more sports options in general, probably in Atlanta, and I would say Atlanta probably is a little more of a transient city. You have more people moving here from from elsewhere, from all over the country than maybe in New Orleans. Um, but there is still something about the New Orleans Saints that I think uh, that I know actually gets under the skin of Falcons fans. And uh, yes, I think the hate is real here. For as much as um, hate can be real in in what some have often termed as a kind of a blase sports city. Jeff, you alluded to something. Before we get into uh, the scouting report on the on the current Falcons team and uh, the front office and Arthur Blank, uh, I wanted to ask you something because you alluded to the, the 2016 Super Bowl, which, of course, is the uh, glorious moment that the Falcons, for Saints fans, a glorious moment <laughs> yes. when the Falcons blew the 28-3 lead. Now, I've got to ask you your own personal story on that because – I can tell you, I was covering that game. It was in Houston. And as grizzled veteran uh, journalists, all three of us, we all know to never count out a game, right? I mean, you never yes. want to write ahead. But in that game, I got to tell you, 
I was doing the math in my head, Jeff, and I was convinced there's no way they could lose the game. I remember telling my colleague next to me, everything would have to go right. There'd have to be like 20 things almost in sequence go right for the Patriots. And one th- if just one thing went, r- went right for the Falcons, the Patriots can come back. So I full bore went into writing the Falcons won the Super Bowl column and paid the price. It might have been the worst column I've ever written in my life when the <laughs> uh, Patriots came back. And that's saying something. What is your story? I mean, did you fall for it the way I did? Or how did, uh, you, how yeah, did your night play out? Sure. And, and I, you know, back then I, uh, I, I was writing for the Atlanta Journal Constitution that year. And uh, so deadline situations were, were tight. And so you, you had to be writing during the game. Uh, and like you, but we've all covered events that we thought was going to go one, were going to go one way, but they end up going the other way. So you, for those, you know, for, for listeners, what we often do is we start sort of start writing in the middle, um, and work our way down. And then, and then late when we're sure nothing is going to change, we go back to the top. And I, I hesitated because I've been burned so many times before I went back to the top to start writing in the beginning, um, because I didn't want to jinx it. And it wasn't a jinx it like, like, oh, I don't want my team to lose jinx it. It was more like jinx it. I don't want to have to rewrite this jinx it. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, at some point, uh, I, I think it was late third, probably early fourth quarter. I sort of started writing the beginning and, and I wrote, <laughs> I mean, I had, I, I really don't like write, talking about things I wrote, but I had a lot of stuff in this column. I mean, I had, you know, the the movie that they watched the night before. I had uh, how they were going to do ABC because I had talked to a couple coaches and people um, within the organization about how they knew the Patriots couldn't cover this, couldn't do this defensively. And I had examples of everything that they wanted to do and why it worked and how it worked, how, how everything was flowing perfectly. Um, and, and I, of course, I had the typical stuff about, you know, erasing ghosts of past Falcon collapses or, or horrible teams. And, and here's Atlanta has its championship. And it all, it all, you know, flowed pretty well. It wasn't finished, but it was, I had a pretty strong outline there, I guess you could say. And then probably at about the time the Patriots, I don't have the box score in front of me, but probably about the time the Patriots got it to 10 maybe or something, I thought, stop. And I just pulled my fingers off the keyboard and watched the rest. Uh, so, yeah, that that's one of my stories. Uh, the other story was right when the game ended, um, the coaches were right. The Falcon coaches were right in front of me. And they were holding elevators, an elevator, obviously, for the Falcon coaches. And the elevators did not operate. They did not work. And I was standing no more than five feet away from Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle was not happy, obviously. And Kyle was going to be a focus of, of a lot of stories and become a national story, really. And he was about to become the coach of the San Francisco 49ers. And basically, the, the elevator did not work. And so I ended up following the coaches as they had to walk down the corridor between fans to to draw to walk down to the next level to try to get an elevator there. And fans are looking around like, was that Kyle Shanahan? Are those the Falcon coaches? Uh, and it made for a, a lovely um, side blog and just the uh, 
kind of the perfect imperfect ending to a miserable uh, miserable ending for Kyle Shanahan and the rest of the Falcon coaches and that staff. I was as stunned as you. I think you probably nailed it when you said 20 things had to go right and all 20 things did from from the Julian Edelman catch to Kyle not running the ball to to Devontae Freeman missing a block. I mean, you could you could pick out 20 things. And then also going against arguably, if not arguably, or the best quarterback in NFL history. Um, so yeah, it was it was something that will never go, go away because I'm convinced if the Falcons should ever win a Super Bowl, people will still say, well, they should have two Super Bowls. Uh, and so, yeah, it uh, it's something certainly I'll never forget and I'll, I'm sure they'll never forget. No, I, I seriously doubt anyone will forget it. And people, of course, in New Orleans will not forget it. And, uh, you know, they'll just point and laugh at each other over their uh, misfortunes afterwards and, and beyond. But, but Jeff, uh, fast-forwarding to this current Falcons team uh, and piggybacking off of that Super Bowl, I mean, is it too far to say that, okay, that this is that moment has kind of lingered and seeped into this organization or are there way too many other issues that you can't say, okay, this is just a hangover from that that's lasted, I don't know, three or four years. No, it's not a hangover. It's, it's, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's hangover is kind of an easy narrative for everybody to jump on, although never get over that. That's why they haven't won since. No, they, they made legitimate mistakes since that Super Bowl year. And I'm not saying it wasn't on their mind, let's say in the 2017 season, I'm just saying um, that they they um, made some poor choices, both in terms of locker room decisions and and coaching staff decisions. Uh, they lost a number of coaches, obviously off off that 2016 team, uh, notably Kyle Shanahan. But he took a lot of guys with him too, uh, and and Dan Quinn did not do a great job replacing those guys. They didn't lose a lot of players off the 2016 team. They kept the core guys. But they lost some leadership guys like uh, like Dwight Freeney and Tyson Jackson and Patrick DeMarco and Jonathan Babineau. And, and as you guys know, you've covered football a long time. It doesn't you need a few of those guys. And I think one reason they let some of those guys go was because they thought a lot of the younger core was ready to step in and become leaders. And the truth is, a lot of those guys not only got big contracts, but they didn't become leaders. And so when things kind of went sideways a little bit. And maybe there was some criticism because obviously expectations were so high after 2016, despite the collapse. Everybody thought this was a, a roster that could go back to the Super Bowl um, at least once over the next couple of years. Um, they didn't take criticism well. And, and youth, the young guys, the young, talented guys didn't know how to handle it. Some of those guys didn't develop as expected. Uh, and, now you, and now you've got typical situations that you have when you have when you give out a lot of big contracts, you've got cap issues. And um, so I, I, I don't think it's a, it's a matter of a hangover situation now. I think it's just a matter of them making some poor choices, uh, some free agent or really more so draft picks that maybe didn't pan out or develop like they had hoped. And this is, last year was desperation and this year is really desperation. Um, it, it, assuming the 2020 season happens, I they, there are definitely jobs on the line here. There were jobs on the line last year, frankly, until the unlikely finish that they had after the one and seven start. So uh, Dan Quinn was going to lose his job last year. Uh, and then he had a couple of big wins, as you know, one of them, uh, one of them against the Saints. And everybody said, well, let's hold on and see what happens. But uh, this is a team that really has to make the playoffs 
in the 2020 season, I believe, or, or there's going to be a lot of people who are going to lose some jobs. Yeah, Jeff, this is a, I think this Falcons team is really a riddle, I think, for everyone in the NFL because of last season. I mean, you don't know which Falcons team uh, is going to show up, right? The one that started one and seven or the mm-hmm. one that finished six and two and beat the Saints in the Superdome and went out to San Francisco in a game that the 49ers needed to win and they beat the 49ers out there, arguably the two best teams in the NFC, Atlanta beat on the road. Uh, what's your read on it? I mean, which team do you think we're going to see uh, this coming season? Well, I guess the easy answer, Jeff, so I'll take the easy answer is they're probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> um, they're, right. not, they're not nearly as bad as a 1-7 and seven start. They're not nearly as good as uh, a 6-2 and two finish. I think in that Saints game last year, they did some things they hadn't done all year, uh, and the Saints did not did not really expect it. And um, – uh, offensively, I mean, and then, uh, you know, and, and Raheem Morris did fix a lot of things on the defensive side of the ball. So that helps. But, you know, this is a the thing about the way this team is currently constructed is they obviously have some talent, but they have a lot of things that could really swing either way, right? So let's look at their three free agent signings this offseason. They bring in Todd Gurley, you know, the great, the great hero returns uh, to Georgia. Um, but this is not the same Todd Gurley who who ran at Georgia or ran in his career at the Rams. This is a Todd Gurley with a lot of question marks um, with his with his knee problems, and so we don't really know what he has left. If he has something left and he can contribute, that's a huge thing for the offense uh, when you add him to Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and and um, Calvin Ridley. Uh, the third receiver spot's a bit a bit of an issue. Uh, uh, tight end is a is a bit of an issue. Let's go to their second free agent, Hayden Hurst. Um, they they got him to replace after losing a tight end in free agency. And you know Hayden Hurst is a guy who a, couple, a few years ago was a number one draft pick, uh, but he ended up being number three on the Ravens draft depth chart. Now some people say it's because of the offense the Ravens were running. I don't know. I just know that usually when you're a number one draft pick, you're not you're not running on the third team or even the second team as a, as a starting tight end. So uh, so that's a question. That could go either way. And then the third free agent or, or piece they acquired were, was Dante Fowler. Uh, and, you know, Dante Fowler's coming off a career season. But, guys, <laughs> how many edge rushers do you know are about to play with their third team in five years? That doesn't usually happen if they're a really good edge rusher. So – you know, you have you have Todd Gurley, who could be a great off a great pickup as a running back, but he's got a bad knee. You've got Hayden Hurst, who's still young and talented and could be really good, but somehow was third string last year. And you got Dante Fowler, who's a great edge rusher when he wants to be and can be, but he's kind of been all over the board in his career. If all three of those guys come through, this is a playoff team, and, and this is this is a team that can win a lot of games. I just don't really know any more about them. And then I'm, I'm inclined to think on the defensive side of the ball, they're probably not as good as they played last year overall. Uh, Tack McKinley, uh, you know, their first round draft pick from a few years ago has not played that well. He hasn't developed. Um, their secondary, they drafted A.J. Terrell as a cornerback who could be pretty good, but they got some question marks elsewhere. Uh, and so I, I just... 
There's so many questions. And again, I hate to evade the question, but there's so many questions all over the board of things that could swing one way or the other that I could see this team winning nine, 10 games, or I could see it winning four or five games. You know, the schedule, the first four games of the year, uh, if, if the schedule stays as it is right now, home at Seattle, against Seattle, at Dallas, home against Chicago, at Green Bay. I mean, guys, you could, you could start 0-4 in those four games. Um, or if you're good, if you can survive those games, and let's say go 2-2, two and two, now suddenly you're in pretty good shape. It's a weird league, uh, and, I, and I was wrong about this team so many times last year. I thought they were pretty good going into the season, and then you know they splat, and then I thought they were dead, and then they come back. I've stopped predicting about the Falcons. Um, <laughs> if I had to guess right now, I, I would guess it's probably a seven-win team, if I had to guess right now. Jeff Schultz, columnist for The Athletic at our Atlanta Bureau, joining us right here on the Dunk and Holder podcast. We will talk more Falcons. And, of course, you know Jeff Duncan needs that restaurant recommendation from uh, the Atlanta side. So we'll get to that here in the back half of our Dunk and Holder podcast. But there are certain times when you don't want to have to go to the doctor's office to get help for a medical condition. If you're dealing with a condition like ED, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel at any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, back here on the Duncan Holder Podcast, Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan, with our colleague in Atlanta, Jeff Schultz. And Jeff, you were talking about all of the question marks, this, that, and the other. And let's just start with probably maybe the least of the questions, maybe, in in our eyes, say maybe Matt Ryan. Mm -hmm. I mean, he still seems to me to be one of those top-tier quarterbacks in the league what is the perception in the fan base being uh, in Atlanta and being that he's won a lot of games he's put up a lot of numbers and we know he's been to a Super Bowl but what's the perception of Matt Ryan at, uh, right now say in Atlanta you know I, I think Larry if you look at him objectively uh, this is obviously the best quarterback in franchise history um, he's he is a top tier quarterback I hate using the word elite because you know elite means something for something different for everybody as you defined elite does that mean you will have had to have won two super bowls does that mean that you are a does that mean you are a surefire hall of famer i mean what what exactly does that mean you know he has been an mvp he should have won a super bowl um of course there are some people who blame him for losing the super bowl um there and and fans are fans. Uh, I 
I, I, I view Matt Ryan as a top quarterback. I, I don't think, I mean, I think he had a poor season, I would say in 2015, uh, Kyle Shanahan's first year, he struggled to adjust to that offense. He made some poor decisions. He admitted that last year. He also made some poor decisions, but by and large, this guy is, is really good. Um, and, you know, the, the, the issue with Matt Ryan really right now is really more about both uh, his age. He's starting to get up there, and I don't know how much longer he, he wants to play or can play. Uh, and then, obviously, the money he makes. Um, his, he's been extended, as you know, a couple of times. He's had his contract restructured a couple of times. And in the the team doesn't like to talk about this, but his he's making I believe his cap figure this year is around nineteen million dollars for twenty twenty. It basically doubles in twenty twenty one to forty million, and they're going to have a major cap issue in twenty twenty one. Now everybody's focused on twenty twenty, but the ripple effect of all this it doesn't mean he's going to get cut after twenty twenty. But you also don't want to extend him either anymore because you can't just keep doing that to, to lower a cap figure. The ripple effect is that if they don't win this year, or even if they do win this year in 2020, there's going to be some major roster changes after this season because of how many guys they have uh, with skyrocketing cap numbers in 2021. That tends to come back on the quarterback. All right. And and, you know, it's not Matt Ryan's fault of uh, the money he makes. Um, and no, he has not won a Super Bowl. Uh, yes, that is how we generally define athletes in sports by how many championships did you win. But on a personal level, I really like Matt Ryan a lot. I think he's been great to deal with. Uh, and, and I think he's a really good quarterback. I think any issues that the team has had have not been his fault by and large in the time he's been here. Uh, I, I don't have a Hall of Fame vote. Uh, I, Jeff does. Uh, and and I, I think it would be a very interesting discussion in that room whether Matt Ryan's a Hall of Fame or not. Right now, I probably would say yes, but I want to see his entire resume. Other people believe he's a surefire Hall of Famer. I don't know if he's a surefire Hall of Famer, but I I think he's close. I think he's, I think he's right there. Uh, I think if you're putting Eli Manning in, you sure as hell should be putting Matt Ryan in. Uh, I don't think winning a championship should be the ultimate um, defining moment in terms of whether somebody is a Hall of Famer or not. But I would say he's right there, and I think he's still one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, and I think he deserves to win a championship for the, all the year, great years that he's had in this league. Jeff, I, I got to ask you something a little more uh esoteric, if you will, about Atlanta. And it's something that I think Saints fans and New Orleanians in particular are confounded by. And I think it's just a different, um, it's this the difference in the cities in general. You mentioned earlier the, the there are more, more pro sports teams in Atlanta. Obviously, you've got uh, the Hawks, you've got the Threshers, you've even got Atlanta United soccer. Uh, I, think, I think New Orleanians are blown away about the, the seeming lack of support the Falcons have in a city the size of Atlanta. Right. They like to make fun of it. And maybe it's the transient nature of the demographics there. I don't know. What's your read on that? Is it, in fact, valid? Or is there just uh, so many other things to do in Atlanta, like, say, California, that the, the passionate support of the Falcons isn't 
say equal to what we see here in New Orleans where the Saints, uh, you know, dominate the sports hierarchy? You know what I think? I think cities like New Orleans, uh, maybe Philadelphia, maybe Boston, Chicago. I think those cities are unique in terms of in terms of sports fan support, in terms of people showing up regardless. I think Atlanta really honestly is, is in the majority of towns. Uh, I, I think most people, most fans these days, by and large, want a reason to show up. They're not going to show up regardless. Um, and New Orleans, I mean, as you know, the Saints are as close as you're gonna, going to come to a college team. Um, everybody who lives in Louisiana uh, doesn't even have to be New Orleans, but anywhere across Louisiana is going to grow up a Saints fan. Uh, and there's not a lot of competition. There's no baseball. There's there's uh, and 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 there's no there's yeah there's no whatever there's there's no hockey. There's uh, the Saints have been there forever. They've been a really a part of that city's history. Um, Atlanta. It is transient, um, but but I do think it's it's a bad knock to some degree. I do think I mean when teams win here, teams are supported, and and team and it's not just when teams win. I mean, the Braves had a hardcore following even when they lost, but they had a hard. It wasn't as big, but they had a hardcore following. I'll say this because I because I'm going to ramble. Let me just get to this point. When I moved here from California. It took me a while to figure out what exactly this sports market was. And as a writer, you kind of want to know who you're writing for and what they're thinking. And I finally, it took me a few years, but I finally figured it out. So here's the Atlanta slash Georgia sports market. It always will support two things, regardless. One is Georgia football. The other is something else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... That's something else for a while was the Braves. That's something else for a while was the Falcons. For a short time, it was the Hawks. For five minutes, it was the Thrashers. Um, the Atlanta United goes crazy. So maybe, you know, maybe now we should say supports two things, Georgia, uh, the Atlanta United and, and something else. I don't, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, but, but, if you don't win here, and you know, it's not even just not winning. If you don't look like you're you're trying to do the right things to win here, um, then fans will turn on you very quickly, and they should, frankly. And so, do I think criticism is justified here? Not really. I think, by and large, fans are good are good fans here, and they care. They really do. But for them to put down money. To, to go to a game, buy a ticket, concessions, parking, all that stuff, you're going to have to prove something to them. You're going to have to make, you're going to have to put forth a product or an effort to, to bring them. Now, you know, when Braves, Braves, Atlanta fans got a lot of criticism um, when some Braves um, playoff games were not showing up or were not selling out, I would say in the, in the late 90s probably. And then they'd go to Pittsburgh and it was, you know, crowds were filled and they go to New York and crowds are filled and you go to Atlanta and, you know, 45 out of 50,000 seats were sold or something like that. Well, 
I, I get that on some level. How do you not sell out a playoff game? Although it turns out a lot of people are not selling out playoff games now. Um, but remember, they started winning division championships in 1991. And by 1998 or 1999, going to the playoffs, you know, they were, in, they were in a string of 14 straight division titles and playoff. Going to the playoffs was not a novelty anymore. And so the fact that they wouldn't sell out a divisional championship game, um, to me, it's like, are you really going to make a big deal about this? You're going to really compare it to, let's say, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who had been thirsting for a winner for a long time. Uh, I, I've seen some great, great crowds in Atlanta, great, loud, enthusiastic crowds. And I... And, you know, again, I think they might be hurt a little bit because so many people in this, how many, many people live in the metropolitan Atlanta area now, six to eight million, I don't know. But uh, so many people do not grow up here, do not grow up with their teams, but they become fans here. And um, it's not like New Orleans. I'll be the first to say that. It's not like Boston or Chicago that, you know, that, that always, or Philadelphia that support pro teams crazy, but they don't support college teams up there. Um, New York, you don't see a lot of New York. I mean, there's, I guess, what, the Rangers, maybe the Knicks. I mean, I don't know how much how much they're selling out. Um, the Yankees don't sell out like they used to. Um, I think Atlanta is really like most markets now. I think New Orleans is a unique market. And that's about the best way I can answer that question. So, Jeff, why Georgia? Statewide appeal? <laughs> that's uh, it. You know, that, yeah, is it? Is it as simple as that? Yeah, yeah I, I... I, I guess, you know, number one, we're in College Football Central. So you start there. College football is so big here. My wife's originally from Pittsburgh, grew up in Southern California like I did, came here and somehow became a Georgia fan just because everybody around her was a Georgia fan. Um, <clears throat> she didn't go to Georgia. We didn't have anybody who went to Georgia, although eventually my son went to school there. Um, my daughter, who did not go to school there and, and, and was born here, became a Georgia fan. Uh, it's the biggest thing. It's the thing that tends to occupy everybody's attention, like a Saints game. That's what Georgia, that's what Georgia games are here. Um, and, and much like the University of Alabama, you know, to some degree, if you, you go to an Alabama game, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to bet that nine out of 10 people in that stadium have never stepped foot on that campus other than for an Alabama game. Okay, they never went to school there. They were just grew up Alabama fans. And I think that's kind of the way it is here in Georgia. Uh, I can't explain it other than the fact I think it starts with college football being so big, the SEC being so good and so big, and every game having great storylines. And um, and everywhere you walk, there's just Georgia jerseys. And, you know, I, I feel bad for Georgia Tech, you know, because they're <laughs> they're in a pretty major conference. The ACC is not bad. They're they're a major university kind of, you know, just an hour down the road and they're in Atlanta and they largely are. are or ignored here, uh, ignored at least relative to Georgia. But, you know, as they would admit in a, in a weak moment, you know, Georgia fans outnumber them, whatever it is. I mean, five to one, six to one, 10 to one. And and uh, it, it, it's tough, but it's that's that's Godzilla in Athens. And that's everybody knows it. And that's never going away, win or lose. If they win, everybody's going crazy and they want some, they want more copy. If they lose, everybody's going crazy and they want to know why. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's been, it's been this way since long before I moved here in 1989. All right, Jeff, we're going to wrap it up with the, uh, tradition here of getting a, <laughs> a restaurant recommendation from you. Uh, I got to tell you, 
I learned a lot about Atlanta during the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. I was kind of guilty. You know, Larry and I, like most journalists, when we we come into Atlanta, we, we stay. There's a lot of hotels right down near the stadium. So we, being men of convenience, like to walk uh, to the stadium. And so we end up staying downtown. We get lazy and we, we try to find a place downtown. But during Super Bowl week, I got a chance to explore Atlanta, get out to some of the bedroom communities like Decatur and uh, of course, north of Buckhead and really found a lot of great neighborhoods, a lot of great restaurants in the market. And uh, I think it's probably true a little bit of, of New Orleans as well. Right. You know, you, a lot of people come to town, they end up going out in the French Quarter and we we try to encourage people to get outside of the French Quarter in downtown New Orleans to to what it uh, explore what New Orleans is really like if you live here. So from your insider local perspective, uh, if Saints fans come to town, which a lot of them do, they uh-huh. can make that easy trip over uh, to Atlanta. Do you have some recommendations that might not be uh, just necessarily within walking distance of the of the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium? And what would you recommend for people uh, that want to see maybe a different side of Atlanta? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, and I'm glad you said not in the city because I, I, when you told me you may want to ask me this, I wrote down two. Uh, obviously, a lot of people, when they come to Atlanta – uh, and in the state of Georgia, they think barbecue. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a ton of great barbecue places. I mean, Fox Brothers is is maybe the most famous one and it's great. It's in the little five points area that that's in town, but I'm going to give you another one. Um, and, and a lot of people have heard of it, but it might not be quite as well known. It's called heirloom barbecue, um, just like an heirloom tomato. And it's, it's north of the city, about 15 minutes. And it's a very small place. It's like sort of a little stand. They got a few tables outside and uh, it's it's sort of this fusion between barbecue and Asian. And I, it, assuming you like things a little bit spicy, if you order the spicy Korean pork sandwich, I'm telling you that you will thank me forever. It is one of the <laughs> best sandwiches you will ever have. So on a barbecue, pers- on, from a barbecue standpoint, I would recommend heirloom barbecue. Everything on the menu is really good. For something a little nicer, um, upscale but not snooty, um, it's right on the river and it's also north of the city. It's a restaurant called Canoe, like you're paddling in a canoe. Uh, and they have a little bit of everything, great seafood. They even have a duck beef burger on the menu if you're if you're into that sort of thing. So it's it's a very it's a great uh, it's a beautiful place. Um, again, it's 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 a little upscale, but it's not. Fancy, fancy, you know, if you know what I mean. Um, right. And great, great food, great scenery. And uh, I would recommend those two places. Well, Jeff Schultz from our Atlanta Bureau of the Athletic. Jeff, we really appreciate you jumping on the show. And uh, as I, we were talking about before the pod, uh, look, hopefully things get started. Baseball gets started up for you. Your, your schedule gets busy, hopefully. Uh, and then... Maybe the Masters comes around and all this stuff. So, uh, Jeff, uh, hopefully we all get busy and you get busy real soon, my friend. I'm with you because I'm I'm tired of Zoom calls. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> hey, I would say this real quick before we wrap up. Uh, upscale Not Snooty is probably going to be my new Twitter uh, handle avatar. <laughs> I like right. that description. <laughs> Perfectly describes me. It's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure Jeff's fans or uh, or, or uh, not fans will, will certainly love all that, too. So, hey, Jeff, uh, once again, appreciate you jumping on the podcast and stay safe. You too, guys. Take care. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks, Jeff. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder Podcast. want to thank our producer, Danielle, as always, for putting up with all of our shenanigans. Of course, want to thank our guest, Jeff Schultz. Again, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder, 40% off your annual subscription. Get all of our podcasts. Had some tremendous pods uh, really in the last month and a half. Some great guests and, of course, analysis. Uh, and, of course, you subscribe to get all of our great Written work from New Orleans, Atlanta, anywhere, all sports, you could do all of that. And then Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you could rate, review, subscribe, uh, and get on board the Duncan Holder podcast. So for Jeff Duncan, I am Larry Holder. Thanks once again for jumping on the Duncan Holder podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.